We're going to talk about grace today. How many of you guys were here last week? How many were not here last week? All right, I liked my message last week, so if you didn't come, it's your fault. Uh, but we had fun. We started talking about grace. We learned a bit. We learned that one of the greatest things about Christianity is grace. One of the largest problems in Christianity is the abuse of grace. Uh, abuse of grace is when people take grace and try to make grace a license for sin. And you go, well, how would someone do that? We learned that grace, by definition, is unearned. So there are a lot of people who go, well, if I cannot earn it, if what I do does not affect it, then what does it matter what I do? And try to use God's forgiveness and God's kindness as a license for sin rather than have it, letting it draw them closer to God. And we learned that by doing so, you can outrage the spirit of grace and that it's unacceptable. And then we talked about the people who'd go, well, if it's if you can, but just because you make a mistake doesn't mean you lose what you never earned in the first place. Where's the line? And we talked about the fact that those that are line hunting, trying to see how little they can do, trying to see how far away from God they can live and still make it to heaven, they are indeed not living for God, but for themselves. Because that is the wrong question. If you're trying to be as far away from God as possible, you are not living for him. God wants all of you. And so we, kind of, we went over that in a bit more, but if I went through everything I covered, we'd be here for the full message. So Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God's kindness, forgiveness, and grace are supposed to draw you to God away from sin. They are supposed to produce life change. And so I, that kind of sums up where we kind of ended with grace. And then I was, I was reading something, and I read a verse that didn't make sense inside of the normal Christian view. And when your Christian view is challenged by the Bible, do you know which one's wrong? Your Christian view. Like, it, it, it means that somewhere your Christian view isn't exactly Christian. It's not exactly Christ-like. It's somehow, somewhere along the way, you picked up something that we, we, you, Bob, I don't know, that somebody misinterpreted and it's now the way that you see things. Because God's word reflects God's heart. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. And if you're taking notes, you can just go ahead and write second experience of grace. I'm like, okay, so if grace, most of the time when you think of grace, there's a couple things that you think of right away. How many of you guys, if I say grace, think of a song? How many of you guys like the first thing you think of? Amazing grace. I won't sing. I'll spare you. Um, but... Some of you guys, the first thing you think of is a song, but even in the song, you're like, you know, what a wretch I was that's, you know, it saved me. And you, you go through this and you're like, okay, so in our thinking, we think of grace simply along the lines of salvation. We tend to think of grace and go, well, grace allows me to be saved even though I don't deserve it, which is true. But if all that grace did was allow you to be saved when you don't deserve it, how could you have a second encounter or a second experience of grace? 
Because if that was its sole function, once you'd experienced it, you'd already experience, it'd be a one and done. It's a pass or fail. There's no level of, of, of grace if all that grace does is allow you to go to heaven when you really don't deserve it. And so I got thinking going, okay, so what then is he saying? In, in the New Testament, 32 times in openings or closings, they open up a book with this. Uh, you can, here's an example, 1 Corinthians 1, 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And they close out 1 Corinthians. The grace of the Lord Jesus, Christ, Jesus be with you. And I got thinking about this going, well, who is he writing to? The church, the believers. If they're already believers, why does he tell them grace to you? Grace to you, peace to God, grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And and I'm thinking about this going, well, if it's just about going to heaven, why do I have to have a second experience? Why would you speak grace into my life regularly. Why is it that most of the epistles in the New Testament either open, close, or both with with, um, speaking grace upon them? And then to add to it, 2 Peter 3, 18 says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, 16, and from his fullness, we have all received grace upon Grace. First Peter 1 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And so I, I'm reading this and I'm like, okay, so I don't understand everything at first as I've been having fun with this, this study. And you're like, well, what's obvious is that you can have more grace. Because if grace is going to be multiplied to you, that would be more grace. If you can grow in grace, that means that there is more grace available than what you may have at the moment. And so I, I'm, I'm processing all of this, and I'm like, well, then there has to be more to grace than simply, I, don't, I get to go to heaven. Mercy would be, I don't have to go to hell. Grace would be, I get to go to heaven. And we talked briefly about that last week, and we said that even our act of mercy, not going, having to go to hell, is only available to us because of an act of grace. You are only allowed mercy, not, re- not getting what you do deserve, which would be hell, because of the act of grace, an, a unmerited gift that you do not deserve by that gift of Jesus paying the price for your sin allows you to have the mercy. So I'm, I'm, I'm tracking with this. I'm like, okay, well, I, I see grace at work in our salvation, but what is this need for a continual growth in grace, a multiplication of grace and growing in it? And then furthermore, how do I grow in something that's not earned? Does that sound like a fair question? You're like, if it's completely unearned, how do I grow in it? How do I have it multiplied to me if by definition it's unearned? Furthermore, why? I I got doing this, I'm like, well, what is the purpose of this additional grace 
that I want to have added to me, multiplied to me, and I, and I started taking this apart. So I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey, and we're going to find out why. Grace, if you're taking notes, write this. Grace empowers you. Grace empowers you. It is meant to change the way we live. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Uh, we're going to go 4 to 8. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus that. Um, I'm going to pause there. In hermeneutics, and if you're like, Herma, what? Hermeneutics, this is the study of the Bible, the interpretation of the Bible. It's what that fancy term means. So when studying the Bible, one of the things that you always want to pay attention to is the word for, therefore, because, that. Any of those, and you, you could, that's probably not a um, complete list, but it's a very simple thing that says, all of this is for this. And yet you want to take the Bible in context. So you look at it and you go, he was, because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that. So the reason that the grace was given is about to be told to us. I'm like, cool, this is the reason that God gave us the grace. That in every way you were enriched in him, in speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I was reading this, going, okay, so the grace was given to me that for the reason that I could be enriched in my speech, in knowledge, not lacking any spiritual gift, sustain until the end, guiltless to the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And begin to understand that grace was meant to empower me. That grace was meant to empower me to live a different life. John Bevere said it this way. He says, it, it, grace, it also imparts to us his divine nature. It allows us to live like Jesus. It allows his nature to shine through in us. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So that what? So that I may abound in every good work. So God's grace has an impact on my ability to do good works. Have you ever felt like you were supposed to do something that was hard or made you nervous? Anyone ever felt like you were supposed to do something that was either hard or made you nervous? Okay. The rest of you, you can meet Jesus later. Okay, so we'll give you a chance because a lot of times even our first step can be nerve-wracking where you're like, all right, they're going to ask me to make a decision to follow Jesus. Am I ready for that? Do I really want to follow Jesus? Am I ready to live for him? They're gonna, they might ask me to raise my hand. What are people going to think? And even from that point, often it can be um, hard. And he says that grace may, ab may abound so we can do bound in every good work. Grace is an imparter of power. And I begin to make lists, and I have all, I've, I don't know how many sets of notes I've made this week of just, all right, and so grace does this, and then grace does this, and grace does this, and I made too long of lists, and then I found one of the lists in my 
um, Dake's Anonymous Reference Study Bible. And he had a list of 30 things that grace can do that I'm going to read through, and I'll read through it kind of quickly. If you actually want this list, you can come get it out of my notes afterwards. I'm going to read it faster than you can write it. 30 things grace can do. It saves the world, can give one all good things, bring men to repentance, impart great blessing, bring salvation, impart faith, justify, overcome, in, reign in life, make one God's elect, give boldness, make, uh, make partaker of Christ, give power, inspire, inspire liber, liberality, give endurance, call men to the ministry, impart riches, inspire singing, give seasoning to speech, give strength, teach, give aid, In suffering, help in time of need, give stability, give life, help, render, true service, um, um, become abundant, bring hope, give ability to preach, change lives. Grace is meant to empower you to walk out God's plans for your life. Those times when you're like, you know, I know that God wants me to. And sometimes you can be like, God wants me to share his love with someone at school, and you're like, they might mock me. I need to invite somebody to church, and like, well, what are they going to say? You know, I'm, I should probably invite them to the Christmas party. We got an unexpected Christmas, but what if they say no? What if they mock me? And, and all of a sudden, it can be very easy to where we come to these different points where what we know we should do and what we feel like doing are very different. And you go, well, I know that I should but that's hard, but that's scary. I should pray for them. But what if nothing happens? I should, and and I I got looking at this, and I thought, you know, who who understands this really well? And there's there's a weird passage that talks about grace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, some of you guys are probably familiar with this. I'm going to read the part that you're used to hearing, and then we'll talk about it. It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. In the verses before this, Paul talks about there being a thorn in his flesh. And if you talk to theologians, a lot of theologians will argue, and they're like, the thorn in his flesh was bad eyesight. And someone's like, no, he was sick. And someone else is like, no, it's the persecution. And they argue about it. And many of them are wrong. I know this because they disagree with each other. So they obviously can't all be right. Now, which one is right? I can't tell you for sure. I have an opinion. I think I'm right. That's why I think it. Um, but that doesn't make me right. Um, the opinion that I would have is in, found in verse 10. And I just somehow managed to skip to the very end of my notes. Okay. In verse 10, it says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He goes through, and he just got enlisting a bunch of persecution. If we go into the last chapter where the thoughts continue to flow, he goes through and says, I've been shipwrecked, I've been beat, I've been imprisoned. Uh, And he just lists how many times all these different acts of persecution have come against him. And then he sits here, says that in this, I ask God, God, can you remove this attack from the devil? And God's response, my grace is sufficient. Now, if grace was simply about salvation, that wouldn't even make sense. So I go, then what is he talking about? He says, Paul, I will give you the strength that you need to go through this 
It's not going to stop. But I will give you what it takes to overcome. All of Paul's life, he had ridiculous opposition. You'll look and he would go through to preach and they would stir people up when everyone was all excited about him. People from another city would show up, stir him up. They'd stoned him. They stoned him to death. Um, and then he, they stoned him for, to dead and they thought he was dead. He was dead and they rose from the dead or he was just mostly dead, not quite there yet. And people prayed for him and he came, was healed. I don't know. I wasn't standing there. didn't check his pulse. But um, they, he, was, he was stoned. He was imprisoned. He was shipwrecked. And, and it, he goes through this list and I begin looking at this going, God's grace gave him the ability to walk out God's plans for him, even when it was difficult. God's grace began to strengthen him. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodly, ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. He goes through, going, this grace is going to change the way that you live. This grace is going to allow you to do the impossible. And I, and I was trying to figure out how this worked, and all of a sudden, I got a picture that kind of just helped me. Does anyone know what a lever is? A lever. You studied a lever in school? Okay. A lever I looked up some things on a lever. Um, I was thinking about it, but I wanted some more textbook stuff, and so I, I read a, a few things. And I found one from the Mythbusters. Anyone from, like the Mythbusters? Yeah, they're, they're always fun. I enjoy watching them bust myths um, or prove them to be true or blow stuff up. That's always fun, too. So a lever. Um, in its simplest form, a seesaw is a lever. Long, rigid arm like a board or a pole that hinges on a pivot point called a falcon. Strictly speaking, a lever is actually a machine, a device that transmits energy in order to work. And by work, we mean an act of exerting force on an object over a distance. Seemingly miraculous, a lever does the work for you, allowing you to lift objects you'd never be able to budge by yourself. Let me read that again. Seemingly miraculously, a lever does the work for you, allowing you to lift objects you'd never be able to budge by yourself. Okay, I had an encounter with a lever, mostly due to my stupid. Okay, so I borrowed my brother's trailer, and I was driving. I'd only made it like a mile from his house. And somehow the hitch did not lock on right. Um, and so I was driving down 56th Street, and the trailer decided to come off the truck. That's bad. Just an FYI. If you're pulling a trailer, you want it to stay attached. So it, it came off, and I was hoping that the chains would um, keep it right behind me. And so I'm trying to slow down slowly because I don't want the trailer to just be like, bam, into the back of the truck. Um, and it went underneath the truck and hit some of the parts of the truck. Anyways, that, anyways. But once I stopped, I get out there, and I, I get behind it, and I'm like, oh, and you got to pull it back. And the front of his trailer, the hitch part, is bent like this. I'm like, it's, I feel bad when I break my own stuff. But when I'm borrowing something and you break something, you feel really bad. Like, and then I have to go pick up, um, I had to go pick up all the flooring for my house. I'm like, what am I going to do? Well, there are bolts on that part. I'm going to go buy a new hitch for it. 
and we're going to reinstall it. All right, so I, I run to Lowe's. I buy a new hitch. Um, I ended up having to go back like four times to Lowe's. It was really annoying. But I ended up having to buy a new hitch, new bolts, and these are like, these bolts are like that big around. Like they are, they're long, but they're super thick. And so then I've got, I happen to have my, um, my super heavy duty ratchet set in the car. So I'm like, great. So I grab, put it on that, that bolt and I go to turn and I am trying to undo this bolt for the life of me and I cannot get it. And I am pulling and I am pulling and I am pulling and I am pulling and it is not going anywhere. So I, I call my brother. I'm like, all right, so not only did I smash your, the front of your trailer, I'm trying to replace it for you, and I can't get it off. And he goes, well, come over here. I've got some stuff. And he gives me some Loctite stuff that's supposed to, like, or lock loosener or whatever that didn't work at all. Um, and he gives me this pipe. It's about this long. Um, that came off his car jack, so the steel pipe. And he goes, shove this over your ratchet. So we get back there. And I spray this stuff and try to let it sit in there, which did no good whatsoever. And then I put this arm. So now this ratchet, instead of sticking out this far, sticks out this far. Now, somehow that doesn't really, you'd think it's the same bolt that you're trying to undo. But go back at it. Now I grab the end of this bar rather than this little handle and begin to twist and you're like, it starts to move, but it is not easy. And you, you pull. The nut never came off. The bolt that's this big around snapped in half. And I was amazed because I am not strong enough to take a chunk of steel that thick and twist it in two. But a lever multiplied my efforts many times over, allowed me to do what was seemingly impossible. Now, does that mean I sat around and did nothing? It was like, there's a lever on it. <laughs> Lever's going to do the work. No, that would not have worked. But when I put it on it, as, as the uh, Mythbusters worded it, seemingly miraculously, a lever does the work for you, allowing you to lift objects you'd never be able to budge by yourself. And I begin to understand that grace works much like a lever. It allows you to do seemingly miraculous things, but that does not mean you get to sit around on your butt eating donuts. Anyone ever heard of Gideon? So Gideon, you can find his story in Judges chapter 7. Um, I'm going to tell it really quick, but I'm going to skip lots of parts. So if you really want to hear the whole story, read it. So Gideon gets called by God to go and fight against the, uh, the enemy, which were the Midianites. And he musters an army. He musters about 30,000 men. Uh, I think it was 32,000 men. When he does, oh, sorry, no, he, he mustered, yeah, 32,000. As he musters this, this group of 32,000 men, God, he's going to face 135,000 men. You're severely outnumbered. God's response, Gideon, you have too many men. And I, I can just picture being Gideon. 
are you talking about? Their army is four times the size of mine. Four and a half, almost five. Times the size of mine. What do you mean I have too many men? And God goes, if, you, if I help you defeat them with, with this army, you're going to think that you're awesome. He goes, tell everyone who's afraid to go home. Uh, can I go home? No. So he tells everybody, all right, if you're afraid, go home. 22,000 men, get up and leave. Now, how does that make you feel as the leader of the army? So he's like, all right, God, you're crazy. But I, I'm in. God goes, you still have too many men. Um, I have 10,000. And so he takes him down to the water and he goes, all right, watch how everybody drinks. Everybody who drinks this way, send home. Everybody who drinks this way, keep them. You know how many men he got to keep? 300. So he's now supposed to take on an army of 135,000 men with 300 men. That they, were all out, they were outnumbered 450 to 1. That is officially bad odds. If you're playing, what are the odds? Those are bad odds. Okay, so anyways. He goes, and God goes, now I can deliver them to you. And he recognized that at 30,000 men, if he won, he would go, I'm awesome. At 300 men, if he wins, he goes, God, you're awesome. God, there's no way I could do that. Now, he had to do something, but God did the miraculous that he did not earn, did not deserve, but God did the wonders. Grace to work harder, those that do nothing will never experience. If I would have never pulled on the lever, it would have never done the work. It allowed me to do what I could never do on my own. But if I would not have stepped up and stepped out, nothing would have happened. Colossians 1.29 says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Does that even make sense? I'm struggling with all of his energy. You struggle with your... He goes, this is a crazy thing. In Christ, we can actually struggle with his energy rather than our own. And I begin to get this idea, begin to understand that God wants to empower me to walk out his plans for me. That God has called me to do things that are too big for me. But if I will be faithful, if I will step out and trust God, God has grace for me. I can't tell you how many places and how many ways I have been in so far over my head and watched God do the greatest things. When I was in college, to say that I had a fear of speaking in front of people was an understatement. I went to lead a small group of like eight to 10 boys and my stomach just about came out my throat. And I got set free. I can watch the first time I spoke in the main auditorium, I was telling a story about being nervous. I, while I was telling it, I looked over and my hand was shaking. I said, all right, if it's up to me, I'm about to fall apart. 
If it's up to me, there's no way that's going to happen. But let me grab on to the lever by faith. Let me grab on to God's grace and see what God can do. Because on my own, I got nothing. I did a funeral. Okay, funerals are like the worst thing ever to do. You're sitting there and you're like, this is, you're, you're like, like it's cool that you get to minister to the family, but as far as like fun things, what's your favorite part of being a youth minister? No one's going to put doing funerals. Like if they do, they're, God bless them. Um, they have a calling. They can do them all. But uh, like there is, it's not my norm. It's strange. It's very out of my element. And there's a lot that goes into it that's just very difficult. I got asked to do a funeral. And they're like, it's going to be large. There was like 800 people. I was so far out of my element. And I was trying to get ready for this. And you're like, I don't even know where to start. And the parents who were talking to me, they're like, we really want you to do it. We believe you're the person, da, da, da. And I'm like, they believe in me. I don't believe in me. All right, God, your grace is sufficient. On my own, there's no way this is going to be a success. There's no way this is going to happen. That doesn't mean I'm going to sit around eating Twinkies and playing video games. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to grab onto the lever. But I'm going to trust that when I, when I pull that lever, that more is going to happen than what I have the strength to do. At the funeral of 800 people, 600 of them decided to make Jesus their Lord. My jaw almost dropped. I'm on stage, I'm like, well, God, they can't see it because they've all got their heads bowed. And I'm like, whoa. But it was the craziest thing because I was able to realize there is no way that I did that in my strength. But God's grace is sufficient. God doesn't call the people that are good enough. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And this is done through grace. And you go, it's amazing how much time things take. Um, How do I walk in more grace? And in a minute and a half, I'm going to give you a bunch, okay? Um, Or just a few. Um, Pray for it. There's 32 examples of Paul praying grace, speaking grace over different people. Humility brings grace. When you recognize it's not about me, it's about him. I'm going to do this not because I have everything it takes, but because he has everything it takes. When you go, this isn't about me earning it. This is about what he's done, so I'm going to step out because my God is big enough. Not because I am, but he is. See, We receive grace. We receive everything from God by faith. God's blessings, probably the best way I could do this. um, If you picture God in heaven wanting to get you blessings, you go, "There's there's a gap in between. What's going to ride, what's going to bridge that gap? Faith. Faith is the bridge that all of God's blessings cross on. 
Um, Hebrews 11, 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. So if God's blessings that I haven't seen yet, that I haven't experienced yet, are going to come across this bridge of grace, this bridge of faith, grace is the truck they ride in. And the problem is that there's a lot of Christians waiting at the other side of the bridge for the truck of works. They're sitting here going, I'm going to receive a healing when I da 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 And they're waiting to receive from God until they've read their Bible for a year, until they've prayed every day consecutively for a month. They're waiting until they've accomplished something before they can try to receive from God. And they're trying, they're waiting for these gifts, these empowerments from God, but they're waiting for the truck of works to come. And they've got faith, but it's in their works rather than in grace and in what Jesus already did for them. And this spot that we're going to receive from God and we're going to receive grace through faith, we're going to step out and watch God do the impossible in our lives and through our lives. God has an amazing plan for you. But the most important thing that grace, grace empowers so many things. But I still say that salvation is the greatest gift of grace. One of the things that you have to know about grace is that grace can be turned down. How many times have you heard somebody give a gift and heard somebody go, I can't take that. I can't receive that. Oh, no, no, I want to buy you this. No, I can't take that. Let me give you this. No, I can't take that. They are turning down something freely given. And you understand, and you've seen it. Sometimes they're like, well, I don't think it's going to be freely given. I think it's going to have strings attached. That's why they're turning it down. That's fine. But if they can turn down what someone offers them, it's true for you too. You can turn down what God offers you. God offers you salvation by faith. Through faith, by grace. If you say, I need to receive that gift of grace. I want to make Jesus my Lord and I want to receive the forgiveness that he offers me. I want to give you a chance to do that right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This is your chance to make Jesus your Lord. One, get ready. Two, three, raise up your hands nice and high. That's me. I want to receive God's forgiveness. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Awesome. God, I thank you for each and every person here. They have a relationship with you that your grace has been freely given. God, that you have grace for them to walk out the plans and the purposes for you. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.